Good morning, everyone. How are you all today? Enjoying the cooler weather today? Yes? I'm not. I am. Um, I've been in winter for like the last six months. I'm like, no, something. <laughs> uh, but it's good to be with you all. Why don't you all just um, stand up for just a moment and uh, reach your hands out to God? Because um, I might be the one preaching, but uh, you are the ones receiving and hearing from God, and God can speak to you just as much as he can speak through me. He can speak directly to you. And um, why don't you reach your hands out to God and, and let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we have our hearts open to you right now. And we want you to speak to us. Every single one of us have come into this room with something on our hearts, something that's going on in our world, something that's moving. Maybe there's a prayer that we're praying. And God, I just pray that today each and every person will find an answer to their prayer, that each and every person will hear from you today what you have to say to them. God, I ask your Holy Spirit to move in this place right now, Move in every single heart. May every single heart represented here draw closer to you because, Lord, we know when we draw closer to you, you draw close to us. So, Lord, we stand here not ready to listen to a sermon but ready to hear from you and hear what you've got to say to us. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place right now. We invite you into our hearts. We invite you to speak to us. Right now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Leanne. I see a lot of new faces today, and I have been away for the last few months. So uh, my name is Leanne. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I also uh, lead a ministry fighting human trafficking uh, in Europe, across Europe, and uh, in recent days I've been uh, very involved in um, helping churches to mitigate human trafficking as part of the war. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but traffickers like to, um, even terrible circumstances like war, to make a quick buck. Um, so uh, me and my team have been very busy doing that. But it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, one thing that I often hear people say is, God just wants me to be happy. Who's ever heard themselves saying that? God just wants me to be happy. Well, yes. And no, he doesn't, he doesn't drive for your happiness as a goal. And that's what we often think. We often think, come to Jesus and he'll make you happy and you'll have a happy life and uh, that'll be good. Uh, but that's not what Jesus does. He is after much, much more than that for your life. Like, Aim for happiness, you only go so far, but God actually wants you to have joy. He wants you to have fulfillment. He wants you to have um, a full life serving him. And, um, and happiness doesn't really cut it in that because if you're always chasing happiness, you'll never be prepared to go through the highs and the lows of chasing his calling. God wants more from you. And when you think about it, when you really, really think about it, God created you. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what's going to give you absolute fulfillment in your life. He knows what's going to give you absolute joy in your life. He created you. So can, can I suggest to you that maybe the way to interact with God is not to go, here are my plans, can you bless them? But instead, step into the calling that he has for you. Step into something that God has designed you for. 
and then you will have joy. Then things will work together for good for you. God will do something amazing with your life if you're prepared to give up your happiness to instead step into your calling of what he has for you. But, you know, there's often times where stepping into calling can be a step of bravery. It can be doing something uh, that maybe you don't know how to do. Uh, Some of you may have heard this story, but there's so many new people here, I will repeat it. I remember the first time I had been a Christian, I got um, saved, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 21, didn't grow up in a Christian family at all. But uh, when I was 21, I saw the reality of who God was and I just wanted to follow him for the rest of my life. And so within about three weeks, I I did what, you know, you do when you come to church and you become a Christian, you join a volunteer team and you get involved and you start exploring and growing and asking questions. Uh, And I remember I uh, joined this uh, street preaching team. Now, I didn't do the preaching because I was far too shy for that, but I would just stand around and when people were watching someone preach on the street, I'd go, oh, does that, does that mean anything? Like, that, does that resonate in your heart? Like, who Jesus is, does that speak to you? Um, and, um, and, uh, and people would go, well, yeah, like suddenly I feel all emotional and I don't understand why or, you know, and we would have all these conversations with people and... Um, and talk to them, and, you know, some of them would come to God, uh, which, which was amazing. Some we'd pray for and we'd never hear again, but I believe that God did something in each of them because his word never returns void, does it? So I can remember this time I was, I was in part of this team and then across the road I saw all these homeless youth. Um, in, in Australia, that's where I'm from, we call them street kids. And they were just across the road and, you know, they were drinking and doing, doing what, what they do. Um, and I remember, like, feeling like God was telling me, I want you to go over and um, talk to them. And I'm like, uh, God, I think you've got the wrong person here. Um, you know, I'm like the nerdy girl at school. Um, I'm the one that's really quiet. I don't talk to... The people, I, I'm shy, like, that's, that's not what I do. <laughs> and, um, and so I left it. And then the next week I was there and I saw them again. And I, and I really felt this, like, like, I don't know if I would call it like God said to me, but I've come to know that sometimes when your heart gets pulled a certain way, that is like God calling you, like God saying something and pulling you in a direction. And so I went across the road and, um, and of course, I was shy, so I didn't know what to do. So um, I just sat there amongst them all, amongst all these kids that were drinking and talking drugs. And, and here's me, the nerd, uh, sitting there. And eventually they just went, who are you and what are you doing here? And I said, well... I'm with that group across the road and they go, well, don't, don't preach to us. And I said, oh, I don't want to preach to you. Like, I just want to be your friend. And then they were like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And, these, and they were like so filled with rejection. They were so hurt and discarded by society that someone who really wanted to just be their friend, they were like, this is amazing, okay, yeah. And then so we talked and everything and it was just such an amazing night and I had, um, you know, I sat and talked to all of them and, and everything and, um, and then so we all arranged that I'd come back next week and, okay, they were hungry so I'd bring some sandwiches with me and then, then I did that and came and brought some sandwiches and, again, the next week we had this really good night of talking to them and, and everything and then the third week... Uh, we'd arranged, I'd arranged to come and see them again. And, um, and I thought, okay, this time, yeah, I'm really excited. I've made some new friends. Uh, I feel like God might be using me here. Uh, this is exciting. And then as I was driving into the city to, to, go and, to go and meet them, I really felt like God said, again, an impression, a thought that ran through my mind, 
I really felt like um, God was saying, I want you to stop on the way and buy some Bibles for them. And I'm like, God, which part of I'm not going to preach to you did you not hear? (laughs) Like, that's, that's not the kind of relationship I've set up with them. I said I just wanted to be their friends and I said I wasn't going to preach to them and now you want me to preach to them? And he's like... Nah, so I, I'm like, well, it was so strong on my heart that I thought, well, I have to do this. So I went and bought Bibles. I think I bought 13 or 14 of them. And, um, and I put them in the car, but I really honestly couldn't see how this would work. So I left them in the car and went and talked to them. Uh, and when I was talking to them, um, you know, one of the girls started asking me, well, well, why are you here? Like, why do you want to be friends with this? And I said, well, I'm from church and... And, um, you know, Jesus has changed my heart and I just really feel like he might be of help to you. And one of the girls goes, well, I used to go to church. And she goes, and I used to have this Bible, but I don't have one anymore. And I said, well, actually, (laughs) uh, funnily enough, (laughs) I have some Bibles in my car. I can give you one if you want it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, And so I went and got unbible and brought it back and she goes oh that's really nice could you write like a note in the front so I can remember you and I'm like sure so I'm writing a note so she knew who it came from and then someone else saw it and then someone else saw it and then someone else saw it and then by the end I'd given out most of the bibles um, that night all of something that I didn't see and all of that was like following the ebbs and flows of the Holy Spirit of where he wants take you. And God puts those little thoughts into our minds. He pulls our heart all the time. And those are the things where God is speaking to you. Those are the things where God is asking you to step into something that he's got for you, step into calling that he's got for you. And he's got that for each and every one of us. Now, calling may not mean that you're like Dina and you become a pastor It might mean that you are like Barry and you serve God with every conversation that you have. It might mean that you uh, work really hard and um, earn lots of money so you can give to lots of things. It could mean a million and one things because we serve a creative God and he he can use each one of us in so many different ways. But God calls And it doesn't have to be this amazing calling, this amazing thing where God comes down and says, now you, this is what's going to happen to you and and all this. Sometimes he does do that. With me, he did that. I remember, um, again, around that time being a new Christian and really um, praying and going, God, like, you know, the whole being a pastor thing seemed really new to me because I hadn't grown up in church my whole life. And I kind of thought, you know, I feel like pastors, they know something, like God has this special conversation with them and they know everything about you. Does anyone ever feel like that about pastors? It's totally untrue. (laughs) I'm a pastor now and it's not the case. We don't have like this secret line to God. But we do, we do listen to God and we do talk to him, but um, of course, but so do you. <laughs> and um, I remember um, being at this time and really going, God, I would love to be a pastor. Like that just looks so amazing. But at the time I was training to do IT and everything and I'm like, God, is this, is this really what you want me to do? And I remember I spent about three months praying about it And it's like, God, I've got to know, like, is this what you want to do? Because for some reason I didn't think that you could just make steps towards that. I thought you had to wait until God said yes. But now I know if God starts leading you somewhere, you can follow the pulling of your heart and he can lead you somewhere. But then I didn't know that. I felt like you had to have this person come and talk. But God knows where we are. And, um, And I can remember this day... It was a Sunday because, you know, if you're going to pick any day of the, of the week for God to talk to you, Sunday is the day, isn't it? It's not true, <laughs> but that's what we think. Anyway, I picked Sunday. I was just a new Christian. I didn't realise that God could speak to you every single day of the week. Um, and, um, 
Yeah, and I was going to church and really praying that God would speak to me. And, um, you know, in worship, worship was amazing. And then I was waiting for the for the preacher to speak and to say something that would just, you know, shoot through my heart and I'd be like, yep, that's it. Nothing. So then I'm like, all right, well, today's the day, God, I need, I need to know today. So then I went home and I prayed all day and again, nothing. Um, and uh, those were the days in Australia when you went to church twice on Sunday uh, so I went back to church in the evening, and again, worship was amazing, but I didn't really feel like anything specific, and I was like, God, what do you really want me to do? Do you want me to switch career and change to be a, um, be a pastor? Uh, is that what you want me to do? I don't know, <laughs> um, but I feel like I need you to tell me because, um, you know, it's a big step to change into that if I'm doing this. And, um, and I was just really praying about it. And then we had this guest speaker uh, come in and speak. And, you know, he rode up the middle of the aisle on a motorbike, came up onto the stage, um, and I thought, yeah. He was talking about something, and I'm like, this is not the question I'm asking. Um, and I thought, oh, God, come on, I, need you to, I really need you to speak to me. And then um, I, was, I was speaking, and then... In the middle of his sermon, he just stopped and he went, I just feel like right now I need to have an altar call, like call front, uh, that really feel like they're called to full-time ministry. And I'm like, whoa, God is really now. Like, but, you know, it was something that I had already heard. I just needed God to continue. And sometimes God pulls us by things like that with signs and miracles and prophecy, all those kind of things. And other times it's just by the gentle leading of your heart. So I wonder if you could be paying attention to right now, where is God leading your heart? What are the things that he's been talking to you about as you have been busy pursuing him? If you're ignoring him, you're probably not giving him chance to speak. But if you're chasing after God, uh, that, that verse that I mentioned earlier about, um, about if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. That's a verse in James. Like you can take that one home to the bank. You draw close to God, he will draw close to you. And um, you can speak into that. And, let, and if you're moving towards God, if you're always moving towards it gives him a chance to more speak to you about what he wants you to do with your life. Ah, so he is not after your happiness, he is after your calling and what, um, and what um, he wants to do with your life. So I want to talk to you about um, a woman named Esther in the Bible. There's a whole, if you don't know who she is, I'm going to go through her story today. But she's a woman who, or she was just a young girl actually, who was just living her life, uh, and God interrupted it. And um, but it's interesting because in this, she never had this great moment where um, God said, "I want you." To. She was just following what seemed right at the time, um, and that's what I say to you: if you want to step into the calling that God has to you, always do what seems right before God at the. And he will lead by you. There's nothing like a heart that helps him everything he's got for you. But sometimes we feel like we don't. We feel like we're not ready. We feel like um, we don't pray enough. We don't read the Bible enough. We don't come to church enough. We don't. You know, we give God our list of all the things that we can't do and we discount ourselves. But God can use you wherever you are. He can use you from right now because at any point you can start orientating your heart towards At any point you can start going, God, I want to serve you. And from that moment on, he can lead So um, in Corinthians, uh, Paul writes a letter and he says, 
Um, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter wide open, spacious life, life of calling, life where you're following God. Like we didn't send you in. The smallness that you feel comes from within you. You aren't small, but you're living, but you're living life in a way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Can I say to you, think no small thing. God wants to do amazing things with you. And you might go, who, me? And I'm like, yes, you. God wants to use you. Don't live your life small. God hasn't created you all life. He created you to live a life that steps in. But quite often we feel like we can't. In fact, if we look at Ephesians uh, 3, 20 and 21, this is one of my uh, favourite verses in the Bible and every time I get up here I pretty much say it. But it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Let that sink in for a minute. Immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. This is a big God that we serve, and he can do way more than you ask. He can do way more than you think. He can do way more than you imagine. So why not think big things? Don't think small. Think big. God's got big things for you. But it is according to his power that work within us. Not what you do, always what you and him do together. What are you letting you and God do together? It's not just what you do, what you and God do. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in church and in Christ Jesus about all generations, ever and ever. Amen. Have any of you seen the movie Narnia? Yeah, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, and there's a lion. Uh, and this, this story is built on, on uh, the gospel, actually. It's like a, a version of the gospel. And Aslan, the lion, uh, is uh, like a type of Jesus. And, um, and I love a quote from that movie. It says, Aslan is on the move. And uh, can I say to you today, God is on the move. And are you going to step into the stream of what he is doing? Because there are all these times at any time in your life where you can go, okay, God, I'm going to face myself towards you and I'm going to start going this way and this way and this way. God has a call for your life. So let's take a look at Esther. Uh, Esther was just a young girl uh, growing up in um, ancient times. Uh, so we're all in Lisbon. So let's imagine uh, that this was happening. In, okay? I'm going to tell a paraphrase of the story so we can turn it into modern times. So if you can imagine um, St George Castle on top of the hill just in central Lisbon, that's where the king and queen lived, okay? And then you've got Alfama down the bottom with all the little houses and the narrow laneways and everything. That's where Esther lived. She would only hear things coming from the castle. She would only hear uh, the stories coming down, the rumors come down. Uh, and there was, a, there was a rumor going around on this day that the queen, Queen Vashti, had been dismissed. She had been kicked out of the castle. And uh, everyone was wondering why. And it turns out because the king wanted her to do something, he wanted her to come and parade herself in front of all the noble people so, she could, uh, so he could say how beautiful his wife was. And she didn't want to, um, so she said no. And all of the, the king and all his advisors were like, well, women can't say no to men, that's wrong. 
uh, like if we let if we let her get away with this, all the women will be saying no to us, and then we'll have like the whole um, the whole world will change, um, and it has. Good. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this this was the time that they were in where, um, you know, the men had the upper hand and were controlling women. And um, so, you know, this was what coming down. The queen said no and she got kicked out. And more than that, the king and all his noblemen got together and decided, well, now we still need a queen. Like, we can't have a king without a queen. So let's run a competition. Think The Bachelor, okay? Let's run a competition uh, in all of the land and find the most beautiful women and then they can all come into the castle for a year and do beauty treatment for the year and then I'll pick one, the king will pick one to be his wife. Like The Bachelor, right? This is modern-day Bachelor. <laughs> so... Um, so um, Esther was one of these uh, young girls. She was only 15, 16 at the time that got uh, sent into the castle and um, was beauty uh, competition. Uh, she um, had to prepare for a whole year. She had a whole year of living in the castle, a whole year of going to the spa every day, a whole year of having her nails done every day, a whole year of having and makeup done every day, whole year of just looking at life as it, um, yeah, seeing life differently. And, you know, when you're living the high life, you start to start thinking you're good. Uh, and then she had, she had favour with people around her. So uh, one of the eunuchs, uh, which is like one of the king's men that was responsible for looking after all these women. She found favour with him, so he used to tell her, you know, when you go and see the king, when you go on your date, um, go and go and talk to him. And like he likes simple things, so say this, say this. Um, yeah. So she was going in and doing what she was, and you know, she was getting up and up and up there. But all the time, like she's like fifteen, right? I bet she's, like, starting to really develop feelings. Uh, everyone, uh, he's rich, he's powerful, good-looking, he's, he's got the best clothes, like, he pays attention to her when she comes and... Um, you know, she's starting to... Um, as on The Bachelor, they, they all start falling in love with the guy. Uh, and this... The case is the same with her. Um, so she had, so she was doing this every day, day in, day out. Um, so when she was this this young girl, she had no idea she was. And it's just like that with you and me. We do not know the plans that God has for us because He's. God of immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. You might have an inkling that it's this direction, but he has more plans for you and big plans for you than you think. And it was just like that with Esther. So Esther's now in a place where she suddenly has fame. She was known for her beauty all over the country. She had whatever she wanted. She had servants. She was treated like royalty and um, she had 12 months decide what she would take when she had to take something. And then she uh, listened to the eunuch and took exactly what she said. And then she had her moment, her moment in life where she felt like, now I have arrived, was the king actually chose her. And, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of um, in her going, oh, wow, he's in love with me. He's decided to follow me. Uh, to, he's decided to, to have me. He must see something in me that's worthwhile. He must think I'm beautiful. He must think I'm all these things. And, um, yeah, and then, like, she's like, I've made it. Like, I've arrived. I'm queen. Like, it's amazing. She had her moment. 
Do we not need so had her moment, but not all moments are the same, but it was her moment. And, um, and she stepped up and she found favour with the king and she won the competition. She was so excited. Thought she had arrived. But after a while she realised the prize wasn't as good as she thought. King, he wasn't in love with her. He didn't even bother seeing her. Like 30 days would go by and she never speak. Uh, she started to realise that the whole thing had been a stunt. Started to realise um, that money and fame wasn't everything. She felt like she was a slave in the castle, couldn't really go out, couldn't go see her family anymore. And, um, and as life went on, she began to understand a little bit about why the other queen paraded in front of people like for everyone to admire. Um, beauty wasn't all that it had been cracked up to be, neither was being a queen. Um, it's funny how things are so different angle. So she'd had her moment, but it had turned a bit off. But now there were big people with realised but her, she was, she was uh, an orphan. Her parents had died, but her uncle Mordecai had decided to take her and uh, he had raised her her whole life before she ended up in the, in the castle. And um, he was a very respected man in the um, And uh, there was this other guy that was like the second in charge to the king. His name was Haman. And Haman was a bit of like one of the, um, if you think of cartoons, he's a bit like the evil nobleman that's trying to get everything for himself. And, um, and this is who uh, Haman was. And he decreed, decreed a rule that uh, everyone should bow down to him, even though he wasn't king, everyone should bow down to him. And um, Esther's um, uncle Mordecai said no not going to do it. He's not the king. I'm not going to do it. And, um, and Haman didn't like this. So uh, Haman um, tricked uh, the king into, because you know, he was close to the king, so he was trying to get uh, in with him. He was trying to uh, sweet talk the king into doing what he wanted. And because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, even when Haman demanded him to, you know, Uncle Mordecai was just like, nope, not doing it. And so Haman wanted to get back at him. Haman wanted to, um, wanted to make him bow down because Haman thought he was it and a bit and thought he was a great, a great note and people should bow down to him. So when he wouldn't, he said uh, to the king, uh, what about if I pay you and uh, we exterminate all of the Jews because Mordecai was a Jew um, and uh, Haman was so angry at this point, he just didn't want to get rid of Mordecai, get rid of everyone. And, you know, the king's a bit like maybe not the wisest person around, you know, he did run The Bachelor um, and uh, he's... Um, uh, walking, uh, talking to um, to Haman, and uh, said, "Okay, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about that. But yeah, go ahead, do it. You can exterminate all the like wise king, huh? Uh, not really, um, but uh, that's what he said. And um, and so Esther was up in the castle, had no idea all this." going on and um, and all this time her people were getting ready to be exterminated like the horses have gone out with the message that on this day every Jew uh, from this age to this age is to be killed and um, you know it was it was genocide and um, 
Esther had no idea. But then her uncle Mordecai sent word to her um, to, to, um, to, to save our people. Esther's in the castle. She can do something about this. And, um, and uh, so he sent word. Um, word came out and... Um, So she sent word to find out more, and Mordecai said to her that every going to be killed, and that she go and plead for her people. And then she went and gave Mordecai all the world. Um, she said, all the royal, all the king's officials, and the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So she basically said to Mordecai, I can't do it. I can't save our people. Um, that's not what I'm here for. Um, King, who I'm in love with and disappointed with, hasn't seen me for 30 days. If I go and stand before him and he doesn't put the gold scepter out to me, I'm dead. And I don't have that much confidence at the moment. I don't think he's going to put that gold scepter out. You know, this was, this was a difficult thing he was asking her to do. And she said, and, um, and that's what she said. So Mordecai sent a message back to her. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house that you're the one Jew get out alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive from the Jew someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen. Such time as this. No major just you're in the right place at the right time. It's the right thing to do. There's no word from God and yet here she is having to decide, do I go and risk my life, my people? Do I do it not knowing how it's going to work out? So here's what she decides to do. Um, she, she said things had not been good between She needed God and she needed God fast. She sent word back that she would fast, asked everyone to fast for three days and then she would go. This was life or death now. Life wouldn't be about her anymore. She even said, I perish, I perish. You know you've grown up, you know you're called when it's not about you. You're called when it's about them. You know, she thought her moment was way back when she became queen, but that was just God positioning her for something. Her moment really now. And your moment will be the moment that you need to sacrifice for something you believe in, that you believe God has called you to. Maybe he's never said it. Maybe your heart's just that direction. Your moment will be when you are prepared to step forward on that, when your heart is pulled by the, for the love of others. That's when you know you'll be called. That's your real moment. So she didn't hear back from Mordecai after that, just fasted for three days. There was no amazing word from God, no Bible reading that was speaking to her. It was just the right thing that she did. Uh, everything was still in confusion. And um, on that third day, almost felt those royal robes on. And here she was, standing at the door, waiting to go into the court, uninvited. 
not knowing whether that royal scepter was going to come down. Like this was a real moment. This was a moment of stepping into something that you never step back from. Sometimes your calling is like that. You have to step into something you can never step back from. So he stood at the entrance. This was her moment of sacrifice. As she stepped in, suddenly the king smiled and held out the gold scepter. She was able to step into something that was different, step into something that was calling for her, stepping into something that was for her people. So king asked her, what is it you want, my love? He's, he's playing the scene for the crowd. That's what he does. And he goes, no, all my kingdom, anything up to half the kingdom I will give. So she said, I'd like to have dinner with you tonight. And that was it. King's like, okay, I'll come to a banquet. I'll have dinner with you. And yep, Haman can come along, can come along and off we go. It was very clever of her to take the conversation away from the crowd because the crowd was where the king was led by. He did what people wanted him. But she got him alone with Haman. And so evil Haman, he was so happy when he left the palace that night because, you know, the queen even wanted to see him now. Like his stature was going up and up and up. King would do what he wanted. Uh, now the queen wanted his attention, and he he went home. And uh, on the way, saw Mordecai, and like, okay, that's it. I'm up here. He's going down. That's what's happening. And so what he did was he talked to his friends and said, you know, what can I do to get this Mordecai? He's like bane of my existence. Everything else in my life is going so well, but this Mordecai, I want to get rid of. And um, he got, and what he decided to do, his friend said, oh, why don't you put like this hole up in town so that we build on it and, and hung there. So uh, Haman thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and then you've got Esther that night. Uh, you know, they come and have dinner and um, Esther actually said, you know, King went, well, Why? Why did you call me to? What is it that you really want? And Anna, um, I believe Esther at that point wanted to say, I want you to save my people. That's what she really wanted. That's what we know she wanted. Um, but instead, I think she had a moment like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. don't know if I can do it. And she said, I want you to come to another dinner tomorrow night. Um, Haman as well. You know, sometimes when you do, when you uh, go to do things, you just can't do it the first time. And you're like, okay, let's uh, stall it a little bit longer. And she was stalling it a little bit longer and then said, yep, let's do another dinner another night. And, um, and yeah, and then so all this time, Haman's plotting to kill her uncle. Um, and the king uh, went to bed and he couldn't sleep. Uh, and this is where we actually see God moving a lot. And he was so frustrated that he couldn't that he said, I'm going to find the most boring thing I can find to, that will make me go to sleep. So he said, I know, I'll read the royal records. And in the royal records, he read that Mordecai had done something that he'd never been rewarded for. So he called Haman in said, who of my noblemen are here? And Haman had just walked in. So he had this conversation with Haman today. Uh, what, what should be done with someone so great? And Haman's going, I think he's talking about me. Okay. And so, um, so Haman's like, well, I think he's dressed in royal robe, a festival held in his honour, and, um, yeah, and that's what should be done for this person that's so great. And then Haman was devastated. 
I want you to do Mordecai. Can you imagine? It's like, oh, I hate this guy. <laughs> uh, that's it. Chasing elevation will never get you. Meanwhile, Esther was still in the palace, and uh, now she could hear a festival going on uh, and no idea what it was, and maybe she thought it was the army cheer- cheering to kill the Jews. Maybe that's what she Maybe that's what it sounded like to She had no idea what was going on outside the castle walls. She was preoccupied by, I've got to save my people. So she prepared for dinner that night, couldn't chicken out again, couldn't just go another night. This time she had to stand up, couldn't get a second chance again. Knew that she had favour with the king now and that Haman didn't suspect anything. She was still... Sometimes... Trust. That one. So in came the king and Haman. The king was curious this time and he just was straight away. He's like, what do you want? What is it? What do you want from me? And very respectfully, she said, grant me my life. This is my petition. Bear my people. This is my request. But this time, nobody knew she was a Jew. The king suddenly got super angry and wanted to know who was plotting to kill his wife. And Haman started cowering. (laughs) And... um, it's Haman, right-hand man. He's the one who's plotting to kill his wife and all. So the king stormed out and Haman was like, now I've got to be. And he started begging and as he was begging, he fell on her. And just that moment, the king walked in and he's like, are you trying to rape my wife? What you're trying to do? Is this how you treat me? Suddenly Haman's colours came out. This God of ours will never let you down. He will never let you down. Victory, ours. And then from that moment, uh, Haman was ordered to be killed and hung on that pole. And, um, and Mordecai, Mordecai was, um, Mordecai was um, made like the second in charge and respected and immediately he and Esther worked together to save their people. But it took all those moments of God speaking, or not, not even God speaking. Actually, Esther is the only book in the Bible where there's no record of God speaking at all. Sometimes you can follow calling. God never speaks. You just do the right thing. Sometimes you've got to step into what God is called to do. Simply do what is right and trust that God is and guiding you. I know I find, like since I became a Christian, like almost overnight, I suddenly cared about people I'd never even looked at before. Like I had never looked at the street kids across the road. I had never even... Suddenly I'm driving in every Friday night to spend time with, you know, as you let God transform your heart, he will transform yours. Don't chase happiness. Chase God and he will where you are designed to be. But there is something about that moment. There's this concept called liminal space. So liminal space is a concept in theology and psychology. It is the intermediate, the in-between, the transitional state where you cannot go back to where you were because a threshold has been crossed and you have yet to arrive where you're going because it's not yet available to you. So it's in this in-between place. That's where Esther was. She was stepping across the threshold wondering if she was risking her life for her people. But, you know, once she takes that step, Everything's changed. 
can't go back. And I wonder if somebody here today needs a moment like that, needs a moment to say, I want to take a step towards God and say, I am going to follow him. I'm not going to chase my own personal happiness, but I'm going to chase the calling that God has designed for, whether that's through an amazing word that comes down or whether it's through simple right thing. It's still calling, still going where God leads. And I'm wondering if someone today needs to step across the line and say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to, I'm going to go where he wants to go. I'm going to let him. So if I can ask the, um, the worship to come up, let's just, um, just stand. I wonder if this is you right now. So easy to make God part of our lives instead of all of our lives. God wants to be all. Today we have the opportunity to worship God. Beginning and the end, Alpha and Naomi, author and the finishing finisher of our faith. Today, will you choose to worship God as he serves? Will you make him all of your life rather than just some of your life? Will you take this time today, let him search your heart? Will you take this time in day to connect with him? Take this time to hear his voice. Here, out of reason. Today, I say to you, who knows? Maybe you find yourself here for such a time as this. Good news is even if you came today just out of routine, you can decide this very moment to change that. You can decide right now that you will refocus and seek him. Who knows? Maybe God wants to do something awesome today. Maybe it is no mistake that you find yourself here today. Maybe you are here for such a time.